this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I need to do this all day. The Matt Sodnicker Podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this hopefully brief intro. I wanted to set up this episode a little bit because I'm releasing it Christmas Day 2020. And just to let everybody know that we all acknowledge the holidays can be tough, especially this year. But this conversation with Gary Stotler that I had just a few days ago was powerful and emotional and impactful and made my world feel a lot smaller and a lot closer and more connected because Gary's been through some challenges. I've been through some struggles. I've talked about them on these episodes about my divorces and my financial struggles, my career struggles. And meeting Gary was just an amazing experience and a pleasure. And hopefully he'll inspire you as well. And just two days after that episode, I was talking to my friend, previous podcast guest, and now career coach, Owen Jones. And I was just talking about how I struggle with time management. And He told me this story about a consultant that came in years and years ago to a company where he worked and the consultant passed around some post-it notes, told everybody to write down the important things that they need to get done in their job, in their life, in their family, goals, anything like that. And he said, okay, five minutes, get your post-it notes. He says, I want you to imagine now that you're sitting on a porch and you're watching the sun go down and beside you there's a basket and this is both literal and a metaphor for the end of the day the end of your life and the consultant said in that basket are all these post-it notes you've written that are important things to get done that are goals and things that matter to you. And time management is all about making sure that basket is empty so that when you look down, there's not piles of paper and post-it notes of things that I wish I had done, or if only I had tried this. And then the consultant just goes, okay, now let's talk about time management. (laughs) But... I just wanted to tell anybody that's listening that, again, you're not alone in what you're going through, what you're dealing with, and just take one more step. Just try one more thing. And if you need to reach out to me or to anybody else that I've interviewed, please feel free to do so. And thanks, as always, for listening. I do appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for commenting and sharing. I appreciate it. And with me today is a friend of one of my dear friends and two-time guest, Brianne Hovey. She introduced me to Gary Stotler. He is a coach, consultant, author, uh, just Gary. (laughs) And with that, (laughs) Gary, welcome. And I'm so excited to talk to you, brother. Happy Friday morning to you. Happy Friday. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's just jump into it. You know, I got the the high points of the story from Brianne and I got a little bit more color on our call last week, but um, you've had both an amazing physical, personal, mental journey. And from what little I, I heard of it, it was inspiring to me. And I just wanted to get into the the history and follow up with some questions I have for you. That'd be great. I'm ready to get started. Cool. Um, Start me off. What was the first book that you read when you were selling cars? Uh, The first book that I read was called Selling the Secret of Success by Grant Cardone. 
It was, yeah, what was the impact was, that had on you? So up to that point, uh, I had just graduated college. It was December of 2008. Uh, graduated college with pretty much a worthless degree uh, focused in psychology and sociology. No real people skills, uh, no real job skills. And then I got into the car business right after the stock market crash. So as the economy was tanking, um, I got into sales, which I knew nothing about. And so... <laughs> A uh, great time, you know, great, uh, great business decisions right off the bat. But what happened was 90 days in, I still hadn't sold anything and I was desperate. My oldest son was just born. And so I knew I needed to do something. So I asked my boss, I was like, Hey, do you have like a book or, you know, anything that will teach me how to sell a car? And he tossed me this book and I read it. I just sat down it was a cold February day. And I, I sat down and I, it took me about eight hours cover to cover, but I just, I, I crushed it. You know, first book I had ever finished in my entire life, you know? And so, but it, it really inspired me for a couple of reasons. Biggest reason was this guy started with nothing, started with huge college debt, started in the middle of the savings and loan crisis in the eighties, got into the car business, had a drinking and alcohol pro- or a drinking and drug problem, didn't know what he was doing. And he just, got to work. He learned everything that he could about selling. He learned everything he could about people. He learned everything he could about business. And he just, he went for it. And I was like, wow, I kind of feel like this is my life. Um, except for this guy's, you know, 10, 15, 15 years down the road. So I took his advice and I just started reading everything that I could about people, everything I could about sales, anything I could about business. And I just, I became the hardest worker that anyone in the car business could be. And I just learned about people and I just got really, really good at sales uh, over the next six months. And I put all my efforts in there and it really just kickstarted my life from there. So when you say it was the first book you'd ever finished, did that include high school, college, textbook, novels? Uh, Is that (laughs) You got it. Really? You got it. Yeah. I I almost failed out of college. High school, I, you know, high school, the only reason I kept my grades at C was so I could play football. Um, and then when I got to college, I partied all the time. I did just enough work to get by. I wasn't there for the education. I was just there to kind of make someone else in my life happy. And then when I graduated, I was like, well, now what? Um, I always wanted to go into nonprofits. I wanted to go just kind of kick my feet up and have a comfortable living. And then life just had a different purpose for me. So, uh, it just kind of kicked me in the teeth and, uh, I had to learn from there. So, uh, yeah, I did. I, I was the, I was the guy that did just enough to get by. I read, you know, I would read one chapter out of the book and then I would write 20 pages on that one chapter. And I was, I was super good at that, but it just didn't, <laughs> it, it really, really didn't do anything for me other than just get me through college. We had kind of a similar experience there because I have studied more after college and read more books and put in more time and homework on um, myself than I did to get my engineering degree. And (laughs) I had this delusion that when I graduated that I had known, well, I got the degree and I went to work and like that was all the learning I had to do. And man, was I surprised. (laughs) (laughs) And I was, um, I had like a three, four GPA in high school and college, but was never really tested. Right. And like what I found out through my journey and exploration was that up until probably 30 years old, I wasn't really challenged with anything. Like I kind of got it, whether it was, perhaps a relationship or a job or a course in in college and was like, you know what, like kind of B plus is, is good enough. And and I'm not saying that I'm, you know, a plus now, but I just realized that, Oh yeah. And yeah. So when you talked about reading those books and I've got stacks and stacks, I don't have a single textbook from being an engineer, (laughs) but I have, you know, the, I actually had a folder for a while called University of Matt, where I would just stick stuff that I had to read and like books and podcasts and magazine articles. And man, if I was to just give one piece of advice to somebody too, it would be that it's just, 
you know, you, you can learn anything and it's all out there because you're not the first one that's going through this. Absolutely. One of my mentors told me that it, anything that you're facing, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, if you want to, if you want to get better at it, if you want to overcome something, get a public library card, go. And someone wrote a book about your situation and they're probably an expert in their field and they probably went through it themselves as well. That's why they wrote the book. So just go out. <laughs> you don't even have to read the whole thing. Just go pick it up, read a chapter and it'll give you enough information to take that next step forward. So reading has definitely been, it has been probably other than journaling, it's been one of the number one things that's changed my life. So you said the 90 days you hadn't sold a car and then you said you became the hardest working person was, was talk to me about the contrast between the effort. Was it still the same amount of effort, but was it better and more focused after reading the book? So that's a, that's a great question. When, when I came out of college, I just, I just wanted to scooch by. I just, I wanted to really, I wanted to just, <laughs> I got in the car business and I was like, this is going to get me there until I find something where I can just like kick my feet up and make a hundred grand a year and just do whatever. And after I read that book, I realized a to make any money doing anything you got to put in the work and there's, there's an opportunity here uh, in the car business. I, I looked at the car business as just that one thing that was going to take me to whatever else I wanted to do. I never really took it serious. But when, when I read this, I was like, you know what, if I actually put in effort, this could be a career. And so I, I took all of that energy that I was just wasting on doing nothing. And I started reading and I started watching uh, just sales videos and just learning about I learned about the car business, but more importantly, I learned about what was back behind everything. And so I learned, you know, what was behind people, what was behind why they buy and why they don't buy. I learned uh, sales processes. I learned about business. I learned about, you know, compounding interest. And when, the more that I learned about all that stuff, the harder I wanted to work. And so I started out reading 20 minutes a day. And actually, I don't even know if it was 20 minutes. It was like, pick up a book. And just make sure that I hit, you know, like one or two pages. But what I would do is I would pick it up with the intent to read one or two pages. And next thing you know, I, I had been like two chapters through. And so that springboarded me. And then I would get in front of people and it became fun because the fear of standing in front of somebody and being told no, it became a game. I'm like, how many people can I get me to tell, can I get to tell me no? Because <laughs> if I can get 10 people to tell me no, that's two car sales. And so it became this game where I was like, all right, now I'm going to go out and now I'm going to try to put myself in these challenging positions. Now I'm going to go and I'm going to force myself to grow in, you know, in, intellect and I'm going to force myself to grow in creativity. And what it did was it pushed me to just go farther and farther, better and better, quicker and quicker until next thing I know, it just, it was second nature to just wake up and, and start reading. It was, it was second nature to just get in front of somebody. And I learned that I could literally talk to anybody about anything. And when I learned that it was, it just became so much fun. And then I stopped working and it just became something that was, it was something I enjoyed doing. I enjoyed talking to people. Uh, so yeah, it, did, it, it really was, I was this, this lazy person to now I just enjoyed what I did and it became, became less work. And so working 60 hours a week was nothing. I just enjoyed it. <laughs> so many things of what you said just uh, resonated with me just from getting uncomfortable, like choosing to be uncomfortable. And then one of my major transformations was when I realized that, and so when I was in my twenties, early thirties, I was perfect. I was absolutely perfect <laughs> <laughs> and I had nothing to back it up. And I was an entitled asshole pretty much. <laughs> and I would look at people that had um, fitness or success, or they could work the room and be charming and friendly and, and were liked. And I was so full of envy and jealousy. And I remember that there was, oh, I wish I could remember the book, but it probably was just one quote in a book. And it said, everything's a skill. Oh, it was a book that was, oh, it was like from some real estate agent in Dallas. And she had like how to talk to anybody about anything, which could be the title of the book. 
but it was like little phrases um, to avoid, oh, where do you work and where do you live? So just basically how to have a conversation. And in that book, she said that being sociable and being conversational is a skill. And that just turned a light on in my head that was surrounding more of the soft skills in life and conversation and things like that. And I was like, oh, wow. Like if people are understanding how to network in a party, it's not a gift. They weren't born with it. Probably everybody's uncomfortable and had to figure out how to do this. And that was one major plank in my rebuilding transformation was that skill set and understanding that you could learn anything. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. How did your, um, how did you process the frustration? Was there any frustration with that skill set or moving forward with other skills? Because that's something I continually try to work the the self-talk in my head is just starting something and like, ah, I'll come back to this. It's like, no, that's just the point where you're starting to learn something new. What, how is frustration, uh, have you managed frustration in your life? Uh, so back then I managed frustration with drinking and food and I would have a bad day and I would just go home and eat two big things of spaghetti and, you know, drink a half a bottle of whiskey and go to sleep and start over the next day. Um, throughout time, I have become much more uh, efficient and effective at, at dealing with that frustration. Now I go to uh, journaling and meditation. So quite, quite a difference now than it was, uh, you know, 10 years ago. But yeah, back then I would just, I would have a bad day and I would go, I would go home and I would get drunk and eat and just probably yell and scream and uh, move on with my, with my day the next day and do the best I could. Or I would get into a slump and stay there for two, three weeks. Well, it leads, so the eating and drinking that leads us into, I think one of the more compelling parts of what I know about you is your weight. And mm-hmm. um, take me through that if you would. Absolutely. So I, I've always been overweight growing up and I, I played football. I was never very, really good at it. I played baseball, wasn't good at it, tried to wrestle, wasn't very good at it. And then when I went to college, it just, I didn't know it. I didn't really want to be there, but I knew that I probably should be there. So I just partied like a rock star. I did the best that I could um, to get through. It took me seven years. Um, I'm, I'm not a doctor, by the way. <laughs> um, so uh, thank you for I... <laughs> saving me that quote. <laughs> Lots of people go to college for seven years. Yeah, they're called doctors. <laughs> yes, uh, definitely not me. Definitely uh, did not get a doctorate while I was there. Um, and then when I got into the car business, I just, you know, I ate and drank and I just continued that in, uh, continued on. And then at the end of 2012, I, I met a guy. I, so Grant Cardone, the guy who wrote the book, I actually got to meet him at a conference, October of 2012. And so I'm six at the, at the time I'm six foot one, you know, 360, 370 pounds and he's five, six. So I go up and I meet him and I literally tower over him. I'm twice the size of him. Uh, and he's sitting there and he's selling his new sales training. And so he gives me 30 seconds of his time. It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. I mean, this guy's a millionaire and he treated me like I was a billionaire. And then I sat back and I just watched him and I watched how he interacted with people. And I watched him, you know, probably 20, 30 minutes. And the guy was electric and everyone wanted to be him, be around him. Everyone wanted to talk to him. And he just, he had so much energy. He was just here, 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 here. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be like that guy. And so I was like, I need, I, I, there's a couple of things I'm going to need to do. I'm going to need to get my weight under control uh, because I don't have that much energy. And I obviously have more skills to go because it just wasn't, obviously wasn't in the place that he was. So uh, I skipped the afternoon. I went back to my hotel room and I wrote down a whole bunch of my goals. 
Uh, a couple of them were finance, financial goals, a couple of them were development goals, but the number one goal that I wrote down was I needed to lose weight and get healthy because at 360, 370 pounds, I literally, I was struggling um, to get through a day. So that was October. Uh, December, I ended up winning a sales contest. I went to Vegas, uh, December of two, 2012. And from December to, to March, just life life crumbled. Um, business crumbled. My family was in a hurting spot. I physically wasn't in a good spot. And so in order to cover up my problems, I was drinking and eating. And March of 2013, it was four days before my son's fourth birthday. And I stepped on a scale at 400 pounds. I was, I was 28 years old. And I knew that if I didn't do something, I was going to have a heart attack by the time I was 35. And I was scared, absolutely scared to death, literally. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it. But I knew I had to do something. And the only the only information that I had on fitness and health was how to make money. And I just knew that if you just took a penny and you just saved your penny and you invested your penny and you just gave it enough time, your penny would grow. And so I literally took that philosophy into losing weight. I took a walk around the block. I got out of my kitchen. I retaught myself how to eat through portion control. And I just promised myself that I wasn't, I wasn't ever, ever going to feel like that again. And so I took one step, literally one step out my door, walked around one block the first day, and I just never stopped walking. And every day I would go a little bit farther. Every day I would do my best that I could in the kitchen. And it took me a year, which for some people is a long time, for some people is a short amount of time. For me, it was just the right amount of time. And I lost 110 pounds that first year. And uh, my wife at the time, she was doing the Catch to 5K program at that time. And I, I watched her. I, I could see her winning. And I was like, wow, this, she's doing really great. If she can do it, I can do it. And so I, I, I took her lead. And uh, I, you know, I was like, okay, I'm walking every day. I'm going to try running. I'm going to do this running thing. And so my goal was one block the first day because it, it was good enough to start walking. It was good enough to start running. And I'll never forget it. It was, it was, I used to go out early, early in the morning because I was ashamed of being overweight and exercising and uh, very common for, uh, to be worried about what other people think. So that was me. So I went out in the dark, it was cold. And I set my goal. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to walk and then I'm going to, I'm going to run one block. And when I, when I went out there, um, I had put in so much effort for a year and I had done so well and I couldn't run a block. It, I mean, it was awful. I, I tried so hard and I, I got done and I, I was like, screw this. Like I'm not ever running again. This is dumb. I'm perfectly fine walking. And I, I was ashamed of myself and embarrassed. And so I cried for two miles home. I was like, I've, I've put in all of this work. I've done so great. And I, I can't even run a block. Like how pathetic is this? And so I, somehow I got myself through that two miles and got myself through the day and I woke up the next day. I said, you know what? I'm going to give it one more try. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do two blocks today. And I went out and I ran one block and then I rested. And then I ran one block again. It still sucked. It was still miserable, but I did it. <laughs> and that right there springboarded me to an entire, what my next four or five, six years of life. Cause I started running one block and uh, a year later I ran my first marathon and a little over a year I ran my first marathon. And then a year later I ran my, ran my first 50 mile race. And then a year later I ran my first hundred mile race. And it really just that one block of walking springboarded into, you know, and the 40 years later I ran my first hundred mile race after losing 200 pounds. 
Thank you for being vulnerable. And I can tell that the, the pain is still very powerful, even after seven years. Um, and the emotional component of this is not lost on me. And as you have been describing that, it's bringing back memories of, in my life of just being on the floor recently within the past four years of just being curled up and crying my eyes out. You know, I've had challenges that are, you know, loss of um, loved ones, divorce, and it's amazing to have that connection with you and just feel that emotional, um, depth of pain still. Mm-hmm. And I take it as a, as a wonderful gift. I'm sitting here just thinking how fortunate I am to have this experience with you in this moment, you know, while we've crashed into the, the bottom of the ocean from different paths, we've experienced those low points and it just, it makes my world feel a lot smaller and more connected. And so it's very powerful for me to, for, to you know, be seeing you on zoom and sharing this with you. And I can't thank you enough for just being open and vulnerable about that. Cause I think um, I've displayed these emotions in front of my kids. And I think it's important that we're human. And when we crash into the wall that we, experience that openly and raw and, and more, I think even more importantly, share it with somebody. And so this is not the end of our conversation, but I just wanted to say how much I appreciate it and how much it, it means to me to be sharing this very special moment with you and and bonding in this, um, what was tragic, but you know, it's inspiring to me. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with me. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something I've never told anybody and I have not had the courage to go back and listen to this, but um, man, it's probably three years and two months that I had just started this podcast and it was out of um, some very lonely going through the second divorce and I had captured, I remember going down in my, (laughs) my studio, (laughs) which was a basement bedroom that had carpet and I would set up this cheap mic and I've upgraded all my equipment since then. And I set it on the bed and that's where I would record because it wasn't echoey and I was, I had done a couple episodes and it was the only time during that hour that I was not focused on the sadness and the loneliness and loneliness and the isolation. Mm -hmm. And I'd done probably a handful of episodes and they were just friends of mine and anybody that I had access to that would agree to do it. And I've come across this audio file in my Google drive of podcasts. And it was, um, I titled the folder new life and it was so raw and emotional. I don't remember anything that I said, but I just captured that emotion of the loneliness and the isolation and the pain and the heartbreak. And, um, like I said, I haven't had the Uh, I'd say courage is part of it. I haven't had the desire. I haven't had the um, willingness to go back in time in the way that you just did. And I haven't deleted it. And I've thought about doing that and it's been there and I still don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, 
yeah, I, I, I really didn't have an end point with that story apart from just wanting to share that with you and just knowing that, you know, I'm an emotional creature as well. And it's just cool to find, this is cool to find you. Thank you. May I, sh- may I share something to reflect back to you? Something. This is your show, brother. Okay. <laughs> um, man, I, I'm thinking so many things. Um, the most important thing that I'm thinking is thank you. Thank you for being open. Thank you for being vulnerable. And I think this is one of the most untouched subjects with men is it's okay. It's okay to be emotional. It's okay to cry. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. We don't have like being manly. Isn't standing up, punching each other in the face. Being manly is actually being in touch with who you are being in touch with those emotions. And the second piece of this is, it's okay that you haven't gone back and listened to that. It's important that you externalized it. So something that we had talked about on the phone last week was when, when I got into my deep, dark mess, you know, journaling saved my life. And I have, I mean, when I look at my journals, I have, I have 2000 pages of written journals. I have 350,000 written words on my computer. I have 150 hours of uh, spoken word and videos and I've touched less than 1% of it because it's too painful to go back and read it. But the important piece is that we get it out of our head because if, if we're in our head, there's a racetrack in our head and it just sits there and spins and spins and spins. And if, if sadness spins long enough, it becomes anger. And so the important piece is to get out of the racetrack of our mind into reality, because once it's into reality, then we can look at it from a different perspective. Then we can look at it with fresh eyes and we can look at it with even just a tad bit of logic inside of it so that we can handle it and deal with it. Because if throwing it away is what we need to do, at least it's out of our heads so we can do that. But it's that important piece of getting out of our mind into reality that, may, that makes all of the difference. So I wanna, I wanna encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. I want to thank you for sharing that. And I wanna just tell you that I'm super proud of you because that probably has saved you a lot of heartbreak that you would have held on to for a really long time. So congratulations and I'm proud of you for that. So, and also thank you for sharing. I think it's an important message. Oh, you're welcome. And yeah, I've been, I've taken a year off of journaling, just got out of the habit because last year at, you know, January 1st, this time I was doing very early morning workouts and as part of my routine, but I have um, stacks of books, probably five, just, it it was something I always look forward to was what, what is the next blank book going to be? Um, I've journaled my trips to Europe and had a daily, either like long form journaling practice or short form, just gratitude journal. And there was one book that um, I, it's not too far off and the, the title, it, I called it the little book of hate (laughs) where Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't directed towards a person, but it was always the emotions and anger and that 24 hour rule where if something stuck with me for a day and a night, then I had to just get it out of my head. And it was Mm -hmm. the absolute raw, unfiltered emotions about circumstances or people because that racetrack. Yeah. And being diagnosed with ADD at 33 years old and wanting to have presence more than focus and just having these thoughts, just like the lotto ball machine, I could at least take one of these out and it so works just I've told people just write this shit down like if you're still if you're fretting about it just get it on paper and I don't know the psychology or the mechanics behind it but it absolutely works just getting it out of your mind and 
you can physically put it away for a little while. And, you know, I, I think if I ever threw that book in a fire, it'd just be like this small mushroom cloud because it would be like the, <laughs> the cartoon anger. Just, you know, it'd be like that scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark with the specters and the ghosts and the skeletons flying out of it. But you know what? I'd rather have that shit released in the atmosphere than, than in my head. And, um, and as we're having this journaling conversation, I do... I have those thoughts about gratitude still, but it it's important to put it down and, and capture it. And you're inspiring Absolutely. me to, uh, my book is still on my dresser and I just, I, I keep it close. And I hadn't realized until this very moment how much I just missed that very simple practice of just, you know, three things I'm grateful for. Absolutely. Uh, without boring you with the psychology behind it, no, uh, just please, to give you a, just to give you an analogy, um, I want to know. So the the psychology of it is literally just externalizing it. So the inside of our head, all of us have had a cluttered garage or a cluttered room, or we have a bookshelf or a drawer that we open it up and we're like, oh shit, like okay, close it because we don't want to deal with it, right? <laughs> well, that's literally what's going on in our head. Our, our brain is like, it's probably the most intricate piece of machinery ever designed. But think about, you know, every single thing that has ever gone through our mind, if we hear it, if we see it, it's picked up by our brain. Now, whether we're conscious of it or not is that's irrelevant. It's, it sits there. And so all of these emotions, if, if we have all these things in our head, it's nothing more than just opening your garage and you got a pile of everything in there. And so what, what happens is we open that up and it, just by seeing it, it's so overwhelming that we just close the door because we're like, I don't want to deal with it. But what happens is we close the door and then we forget about it, but it's still there. It's still bugging <laughs> us. It's still in the back of our head. And then what happens? The boxes get tossed in there and all, you know, everything else that's junk gets thrown in there. Next thing you know, we open it up again and there's more crap, which overwhelms us even more. So the, the importance of this is called taking out the trash, open the door, focus on the trash. Don't focus on everything that you need to fix. Don't focus on goals. Don't focus on organization. Don't focus on any of that. Just throw out the trash. And so the awareness is the first piece of this. If we can become aware that there's a problem, we can come, we, we become aware that there's something that needs to change. That's step one. The second thing is to clear the clutter, take out the trash, go in with one focus, take out the trash and throw it away, put it into a journal, say it out loud, do a video, talk to a friend, just externalize it out of your brain into reality. And then you never have to look at it again if you don't want to. We can always go to the dump later if we just feel like we need something to do, but just get it out of your head into reality and throw it away. Once we throw it away, then we can start going in and saying, okay, here's the stuff that's left. Let's organize it. What's our priorities? What's our emergencies? What's our urgencies? We can prioritize it from there. And the likelihood that we get rid of more trash just out of natural, you know, selective selecting to the priorities, just sifting through the rest of the stuff, we're going to throw away even more stuff. But what we're left with is we get all of that junk out of our garage, out of our head, we can prioritize it, we can organize it, and then we can start focusing on what's most important. But the thing that we have to do first is we have to go through that short-term pain of dealing with the problem. Because most people, as soon as there's a problem, I have a bad day, I'm just going to go home and I'm just going to drink. I had a bad day, I'm just going to go home and I'm going to eat. I had a fight with my spouse, I'm just going to ignore it, act like it didn't happen. It's when we ignore that stuff that it causes a problem. It just piles on, piles on, piles on. And next thing you know, we have all this weight on our shoulders and it bears us down. It weighs us down. So getting out, out of our head into reality is, is the most important thing so that we can just chuck it, throw it away. And finally, with enough time, with enough effort, with enough patience, with enough persistence, enough strength and courage, 
we can get through all that clutter, throw enough junk away and get to the, the heart of the matter, which is where the real healing, the real growth, the real personal discovery comes from. And it, it sucks. I'm not here to BS anybody getting through the junk, getting through the clutter sucks, but it's so worth it when it's out because once it's out, that's where the healing begins. And that's where we can start really stepping into the next piece of the rest of our life. Yeah. <clears throat> and I've noticed this more the past couple of years, and this is not um, going down the bashing social media side of things, but in, in the, the self-help stuff that um, and my first divorce, I had literally a two foot stack of books that just were like anything that had a title that was relating to what I was going through, I would purchase. And mm -hmm. the one that stuck was learned optimism. And I've talked about this quite a lot by Martin Seligman. And what I found that resonated with me is that there was actual homework in there. And it was the first book that acknowledged that things were going to be bad or get bad, but temporarily. Everything else that I had read was trying to put me in a sunshiny place when I was, like Soundgarden said, I was um, looking California, but feeling Minnesota. <laughs> and I didn't want to even try to pretend. And you know, you talk about it sucking and it's going to be rough and it's going to be hard. And I've tried to only when asked with people, just tell them that it's, I think there's a motivation myth that's going around and it's the discipline. It's the eat less exercise. It's the eat less exercise more. It's the hard, simple physics of everything. And that you're not always going to be motivated. You're not always going to want to do this. And to go into something as colossal as losing weight or stopping drinking or improving a relationship or learning how to sell cars or all the things I'm working on with the anticipation that it's going to be enjoyable or easy or fun I think is preventing that. And, you know, where I'm going with this too, is that, you know, I've, I've done dry January the past two years and I'm doing it again this year. And there's something being stone sober and facing this stuff with a clear windshield that is at once, I think adding a, a layer of difficulty, but also it makes it so much more honest and raw and looking back, having the courage to have not done it through half a bottle of whiskey or a handful of beers and just seeing who you are and what you are completely unfiltered is way harder, but I think it's way better. I agree. Um, I, I'm 1200 days sober, over 1200 days sober, and it is the best decision I've ever made in my life. And it was a decision. I, I, I made the, the conscious awareness decision. I didn't have a drinking problem. I just abused alcohol. Mm -hmm. I wasn't an alcoholic. I just abused it. I used it to cover my problems, but, um, that was, that is the number one best decision I've ever done. The clarity of mind that I have, um, difficult for sure. Um, to just not do it, to fight all the cultural and social norms of not doing it, mm -hmm. dealing with, uh, you know, all the things that all the destruction that I did when I was drinking. Um, but I really, truly think I got through it faster and more efficiently. And I dealt with the pain. And then once the pain went away, the clarity that was left was unbelievable. The self-awareness is unbelievable. And it's, it's phenomenal. You couldn't pay me all of the money in the world to have a drink anymore. It's just, it's that it's been that incredible of an experience. I can back that up. And the, and I probably am a three day a week beer guy. Um, I've got like a bottle of 
bourbon that was a gift and a bottle of tequila that was a gift and they don't even resonate on my radar like i look at those things and just sort of like yeah to me like having some hard liquor or something i need like somebody else around like that's a little bit too <laughs> serious for me but you know beers hey man i'll pour a beer and but you're right man that clarity and i've noticed too my behaviors that i try not to you know and again <laughs> you're hearing the 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 waffling in my word choice and commitment right and i know you're not judging me but i'm just saying when somebody says maybe or try or kinda or i think there's no commitment there so when i have two or three days without having beer and i get up early and i'm feeling good and it's always that thursday at 2 p.m even in the quarantine where I've had a great week of exercise, a great week of work. I've had three days off of beer and like the sun's out and I'm feeling so good. And it's like, you know, let's go out for a happy hour, man. Like, Hey, yo, Casey, let's go. <laughs> you know? And then I realized, and it took dry January for me to see that pattern is that it's, it was just a habit. And it's like, I'll come home and have some tea or I'll go for another walk or I'll read a book. And then Friday morning comes and like, Oh, Hey, it wasn't, I didn't start the, I didn't start the weekend at 4 PM on a Thursday mm -hmm. and sleeping better. And, and this conversation is absolutely reinforced, you know, January one, just to take a break from it. And, going through that the past two Januarys, it's like, what if I went January, February? What if I went three months? What if I did that? And I like drinking beer. I don't need to, but it's sort of like, you know, I think, it, I think in a way it could be actually easier now that we're quarantined because you've got to go get it. <laughs> you just can't go hang out at a bar. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's a perfect time to be having this conversation. And I agree with you. It's like the, the fuzziness in the morning, the, you know, the, the cold diesel engine getting rolling. It's just like, man, you pop out of bed and yeah. And, and again, this is one of the reasons I love these conversations is that I have like a framework of where this is going to go and it never goes according to that. It's always so much better. And just, um, I'm just so grateful for, I'm not wrapping up. I'm just, I just want to express my yeah. gratitude towards you of just this thought provoking conversation. Of course, this is what I get to do. This is what I do every single minute of every single day is blow people's minds and worlds up with thought. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I had, when you asked me, what do you do? What do you, how do you want me to introduce you? Like the great disruption doesn't really come across very well, but. <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. it and I, I welcome it and I would not have been for a million reasons receptive to it 10, 12, 15 years ago. And these are things that I seek out and they're rare for me. And I'm so envious that this is how you spend your day because like when it happens for me, like, dude, I can tell you for the next two days, this is just going to be top of mind, just the, this conversation and just what I like to have, like the windshield time, just looking out the stoplight and just going, man, that just happened. And this is such a gift. And I, yeah, it, it's, I'm just humbled and, and full of gratitude just for the, this conversation. I love it. Thank you. Um, it, what the hell were awesome. we talking about? <laughs> uh, let's see. We, we went to, let's see, I ran a hundred miles and then you talked, then we talked about men and their emotions. And then we talked about uh, how to get outside of your mind, how to clear the clutter, throw away the trash. Yeah. Uh, and the clarity that comes from drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you too, Gary, being at a loss for the next topic is not something that happens when I do these things. And it's, it's good. I'm just, I'm pausing just to be in the moment. 
really and just enjoying this that's Um, great yeah i've got we're gonna need a part two because (laughs) you know the yeah i think the running there's a whole section of that because i'm a casual runner i'm more of a cyclist but i run once a week and um i've had my friend uh joshua stevens who's an ultra on a couple times and he's dealt with addiction and pain from you know being blown up by an ied and god like i just love that i have one more person to introduce to another dear friend so just and i'm counting you as a friend and just another amazing person i could connect to and just with stories and just being the connector it's just like an honor and um yeah that, dude this has never happened in That's 105 it. of these things that i'm just soaking up this moment it's so powerful it's just amazing go with it this is this is what life is about i mean it's not about yeah. it's not about things it's not about money it's just it's literally about human connection and right now from what i see and people that i talk to businesses that i work with um, just people that call me or that i go have coffee with the one thing in this world right now that we're missing is positive human connection communication with people and just caring kindness energy positivity and this is this is what the world is supposed to be like People like you and me just having a conversation, just being right there, right now, just love, kindness, energy, positivity, uh, revelation. I mean, who knows? This could be the first day of the rest of your life. I mean, who knows what's going to come from all of the stuff that is going to sit with you for the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you're, you know, maybe you'll write it down. Maybe you'll talk it out. Maybe you'll just sit there and stare at the stars and enjoy it. But this, this literally soak it in. There's, there's absolutely everything right with you just soaking it in and being speechless. That's, that's what this is all about. So I love it. It's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? It's, it's our podcast. And if there's a lot of dead air, well, who cares? They, they, can, always, <laughs> <laughs> they can always push pause. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just inspiring. And like I said, for when I had the hundredth episode a couple of weeks ago, the person I interviewed was the perfect choice for that. And then to have it born out of tragedy and just wanting just to learn how the medium works, but to lead to a conversation like this, it's just, I mean, if I was going to give anybody listening a suggestion, not a piece of advice, but just enjoy something for what it is and look for the positives in it and like the little tiny gifts. And it, to me, it, it, it wouldn't matter if one person heard this or a million people heard this, but just for me, it happened to me and that's all I care about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I can see a huge weight lifting off your shoulders as we speak. Like I, yeah. the, the, the tone and inflection of your face is entirely different than when we started this conversation. You're smiling really? from ear to ear. Yeah. Your eyes are open. Your shoulders are back. You're smiling ear to ear. And it's just fantastic. Like something, I don't know what it is. And that's only for you to, to, to know, but whatever has happened here, something has clicked in your head and it's so amazing to watch your body language change and stand up straight and to watch your energy start flowing in a different direction. It's so amazing. So I just want to, I can see that. I know not everyone's going to be able to see that, but I just want to reflect back to you what I've seen and it's so amazing. So um, take that with you wherever you go. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah. And I don't, I haven't, uh, maybe I have been struggling with something, but it's so fascinating to hear your perceptions on that. And I will definitely keep in touch with your decisions and changes that are happening. I mean, there's always, always things to do and things to fret over, but yeah, it's so curious to be 
I'm welcoming the, the stu- your, you studying me and, and to hear that because I wasn't necessarily aware of it. I'm just ecstatic that this is happening. So good. I, I'm so happy to be here. You, this, today's the best day of my life. Like you have no idea. So <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love it. I'm so grateful that Brianne brought us together. She actually, um, so just to give her a shout out, she's one of the most amazing people ever. Uh, she has, she taught me how to, like, I would meditate for like 60 seconds or five minutes. Like once I finally got there, she taught me how to, with her yoga nindra, she taught me how to meditate for an hour and a half, like just lay there and just go right, right to this. I call it my, a special place. Like it's not a happy yeah. place, but it's a special place because it's right in between being awake and being asleep. But she taught me how to get there and she is, Oh my gosh, she has saved me from so much anxiety and stress and frustration, just being able to literally just kick down on the floor and just, you know, within 20 seconds, get to that place. Um, So I'm so happy that she connected us and she's, I love her to death. She's so amazing. So um, since I can give her a shout out, um, (laughs) of course you can. (laughs) Yeah, she's one of my absolute treasures in this world, without a doubt, without a doubt. Good. Well, let's, we're, we're coming up on our time now officially. And, um, I definitely want to do a second part and dig maybe more into the mechanics of the running and the training and that mindset, because I think those conversations for people that even are, are not runners or endurance <laughs> athletes, just the, the mental fortitude that comes from that and the determination, mm-hmm. um, and definitely want to get more into your business too, because I want people to be able to understand that. But um, Gary, thank you so much. This was such a amazing start to the weekend and an amazing gift to you know, my life and what's happened from this point here and then this point forward. And um, such an amazing surprise. I can't thank you enough. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And I'll come back anytime. I'll talk to you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So in the, in the, in the interim, I'll, I'll post links to this where people can find um, just Gary. (laughs) Just Gary. (laughs) Yeah. Um, If, if people want to, and they should connect with you, where can they do that? Um, So best way is GaryStotler.com. Um, you okay. can, you can show up there. Um, I just released my book, my fifth book last week. Um, so that's up on Amazon. Um, just it's success is spelled action. And, um, I'm super excited about that. That's the first, it's my first like real book. Um, I've done three poetry books and then a book on how to start journaling, but this one, this one's literally just taking, you know, a little bit of my story, a couple other stories that I put together and then putting together a real action plan to start, whether you're at 400 pounds or whether you're a millionaire already, you can literally take this and and start growing um, from where you are to where you want to go by adjusting your mindset, your behaviors and your environment. And, uh, it's, it's, I'm, I'm so excited. Like, I don't even care if I sell a copy. I'm just excited that I got to do it. So (laughs) it's, it's so much fun. So, um, yeah, but, uh, GaryStotler.com. I'm on Instagram at coach Gary Stotler. That's probably the other place that I hang out the most. Um, but other than that, yeah, I just kind of hang out and talk to people all day. It's amazing. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah. The books definitely. I, 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 that's a whole process discussion there and the, the poetry I'm fascinated by. So, okay. That, that'll be episode two. I'm putting a big circle around those two. So, um, Gary Stotler, thank you for this amazing present. I, it's, it's wonderful. I so appreciate it. Of course, Matt, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. My pleasure. Episodes of this podcast are produced and written by me, Matt Sodnikar. The intro was engineered by good friend Cole Weinman. And our original score theme song, Retro Funk, was composed by previous guest and good friend Randy Wiafe. I also have two requests. If you like this show, please share it with a friend who you think might like it. And also take the time to show them how to listen to a podcast, either on Apple 
Transistor or Spotify. And I know you know somebody out there that would make a fantastic guest. And if you do, please shoot me an email to podcast at thewarmfront.com. Thanks for listening.